You're listening to the GamesIndustry.biz podcast. I'm James Batchelor, and I'm joined this week by... Brendan Sinclair. Rebecca Valentine. And sadly, we continue the discussion from last week, which is Crunch. Now, Brendan, you did an absolutely fantastic piece on NetherRealm Studios. We kind of mentioned it briefly while we were recording last week because uh, a couple of members of the team had, had tweeted out their experiences of Crunch at the studio, and you dove it much, much deeper into it, which a number of sites have done, but your, your piece is just fantastic. Obviously, slightly biased, but... Um, just the the state of things at NetherRealm, like yeah, we we we're used to hearing awful, awful crunch stories, particularly within the last you know nine months. But this one I, I found particularly kind of disturbing because, it, as, as you quite rightly pointed out, it's almost a self sustaining cycle of crunch. Like it, the crunch just feeds further crunch. Um, I, I, I guess we we start with that then, like. I, we, what can NetherRealm do? NetherRealm have said they're investigating these allegations. I suspect they're not, or at least they're not putting a lot of effort into it. Yeah, so so management's reaction has been uh, pretty underwhelming. Uh, I spoke to some, some current NetherRealm developers, and this was after the Twitter thread, and then after PC Gamer and US Gamer had both released their own Here's a Bunch of Horror Stories with former contractor articles. And at that point, um, the current developers at NetherRealm that I talked to said the the only thing management had said to them uh, was just like, hey, everybody, we have a social media policy and we strongly advise you not to say anything online. And like that was that was it. Not like this is bad or those stories are from. A previous time and things are better or we are going to fix something just like snitches get stitches and that's not exactly i don't know um encouraging uh, i guess because they're like if you don't acknowledge that there's a problem you can't really do much to fix it they they haven't changed their dlc schedule uh, they're still in crunch mode because of the live service components of of Mortal Kombat 11, which launched in in April. Um, and they like it was it was kind of a rough launch for them, also with some of the online connection issues um, and the the balance of their microtransaction driven uh, challenge modes. The, there were issues and and so like they've they've had to put even more work on them than they had expected and management hasn't really said anything that comment that you mentioned was given to variety after their feature on nether realm uh which which ran friday night and that's the only thing that that the company has has said about this publicly since then and like you said i put very little stock in it I think it's interesting overall. So there's been there's been kind of an avalanche, really, of stories about not just crunch, but bad working environments um, in the last what what are we at like six months, year, really? I mean, it's just it's just snowballed. I mean, the Nether Realm, uh, all the pieces from that stemmed from a Fortnite piece, uh, Epic Games. I believe that was Kotaku. Correct me if I'm wrong. Polygon. Uh, they, they, Polygon, I'm sorry. Kota- yeah, because Kotaku usually does them, and Polygon came out with that really big one, and it's 
it's growing is what I mean. But there were, there were those tweets, like you said, about, about NetherRealm. And there were, gosh, what are we up to? Probably four or five now pieces about the culture at NetherRealm and Crunch. And there are so many outlets covering it. And that's great. That's important. But I think it's frustrating that having having that come from so many different places and so many different angles and having each of the pieces that was done on it, they 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 work together. I mean, none of them contradict one another, but also each piece has had at least one unique story in it that the others didn't have. And so it's just this this thing this coming at NetherRealm from all sides and saying, what are you doing? This is not okay. And NetherRealm is still comfortable enough that it can shrug its shoulders and say, mm, well, we'll check it out, whatever. Yeah, sure. Like, I, th- that's so frustrating. Like, what, 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 what can you do? I think this kind of gets to um, something that, that was in an, uh, a point in the editorial that, that I wrote on, what, for Wednesday? Um, about, about crunch. The, the headline was United Dev Stand Divided They Crunch, which wasn't, you know, my favorite headline. But um, the, the piece is just sort of about how these issues are in a lot of ways systemic. And in the NetherRealm uh, feature, one of the current developers uh, told me, I'll just read the quote here, the sentiment and overall feeling of all this in the studio right now is that mostly everybody there who's full-time or has been there long enough is no-selling it. Everyone in the studio is downplaying it. I'm against all of it. I'm against all the crunch, everything that's happened so far. But if I say anything, everyone's immediately going to look at me like I'm a fucking alien. The conversation isn't being had, and it's probably not going to. And that's the sort of thing that happens when you have a studio where everyone buys into crunch, where new hires come in and they immediately get told all these war stories glorifying crunch. They see everyone in the studio ridiculing the people that leave at a reasonable hour because they have obligations or lives that they want to actually get to outside of the studio. You, you have a whole bunch of contractors working for really just insulting wages, uh, putting in long hours and crunch with no benefits and the contracts only run for nine months at a time, and then they have to be off for three months, or else uh, the studio does that so that they can get around labor laws about classifying you know, employees as full-time and needing to, to give them benefits and things like that. Um, and so they, they just abuse themselves in the hope of getting a full-time position with the studio, which is held out there as a as a carrot for them to to pursue, and then you've got you know this this competition mentality of everyone at the studio working longer and longer hours, and no one wants to no one wants to run afoul of that culture. And the people that can't that can't uh, make it, that can't thrive in that environment, they either leave because they see it's bunk and they can go find a better employer. Or they break and they can't do the job at all anymore and they're either fired or just, you know, burn out and walk away. Or um, there was a third option in there, I think. Or they stay. They stay and they, they do eventually work their way up. 
and they work their way up to a higher level position. And in that higher level position, they use that power to perpetuate the same cycle with the people beneath them. There you go. And and the people, the people. Thank you, Rebecca. Very good. <laughs> I'm pretty sure that I'm pretty sure you said that in your editorial. I was just remembering it. It, it was articulating it better than I could. But it's true, like the, the longer you're in that environment, the longer you are subjected to that sort of work practices, the, the, the more likely you are to think that's normal and the more that you are likely to kind of pass that on. Apologies if I've given this story before, but like my own, relate, it's not quite anywhere near as horrific as the crunch that the developers have gone through, but I, I understand the the basics, the fundamentals of the environment because I, I used to work on a weekly. I used to work on a weekly magazine and deadline on that was always quite you know stressful no matter how much you kind of work you put in just things always piled up on that last day i had been on the magazine for a good few years when we got a new staff writer and i i god knows why i said this i told like the, the staff writer went out for a lunch break and he took a full hour's lunch break on deadline day and i was sitting there at my desk you know pouring through pages trying to get articles finishing proof proofing and i later took him aside and said look fyi Probably not a best idea to take a full lunch break on a on a deadline day while we're all, you know, cracking on and we're all head to the desk. I later justifiably got took aside asking, did I say that? And what on earth did I, did I think I was playing at? And I don't think at, at the time when I said it, I don't think I realized it was an issue. I thought because in at the time I'm like, well, we're all cracking on. So why? Why do you get to, to go out? And when it was pointed out, it's like, what on earth are you doing telling him that? You have no right. To, you should be taking a full lunch break. Like, like It was then when I'm like, yeah, why? No one had told me. No one had ever told me that, no, you shouldn't be taking lunch break on deadline day. No one had ever said that. No one had ever enforced that. But because I was surrounded by people who didn't, I assumed that was the norm. And then I'm perpetuating that myself. I, so I can see how this happens in studios it just needs to, you have to almost yeah you almost need someone else to slap you through slap you out of it. it that's what the studio management obligation is instead yeah. like with it was management realm. that it was management that took me aside and made me realize i had become part of the problem yeah so with netherrealm it was you know management that had thrived in that environment for a long time that in december i guess was like hey we can we can do this uh, mk day promotion in in january will be the big marketing reveal for the game and we'll have a playable build for it and let's tell the development team now and the development team was like we're already behind schedule now you want us to get a playable build for this thing in like four weeks and they had to like devote a number of people for it get even further behind schedule and crunch on that for a thing that was used basically just for mk day and like that's the sort of decision you make when you are just completely part of that culture and you look at it and you don't see an issue with crunch when crunch is something that you that you rely on something you build into the schedule and something that you think well i had to do this years and years ago these these kids can put up with it now and and it's the sort of thing that like in your case management came in and and kind of set you straight like you need management to actively work against this harmful crunch culture because it is so um it's so systemic at this point in in game development that simply being passive allows it to to take hold and to build on itself and and flourish i mean we we have game jams which are 
basically like crunch for indie game prototypes it seems and those are like i'm i'm sort of skeptical of them i don't think they're necessarily evil but they are they kind of reflect that whole attitude of you know what spending an entire weekend cracking away on a game from morning till night is a good way to do things it is productive and brilliant stuff can come out of it and like these these attitudes there's inertia behind them and unless someone with authority steps in and actively works against him they are self-perpetuating on to a slightly different vein of toxic work environment, uh, Riot Games. There was talk of uh, a walkout from that studio over forced arbitration clauses and basically a couple of members of the team had been uh, have, have tried filing lawsuits uh, about gender discrimination within the studio. This is part of the ongoing story around Riot Games that it's quite a sexist um, kind of bro-centric culture. Uh, Riot have a Riot have a forced uh, or a mandatory arbitration clause where they can move any kind of lawsuit around this sort of stuff into private arbitration so it doesn't hit you know, public courts and so forth. And um, it means that the employees have, have essentially waived their right to sue Riot uh, when they first sign up. Now, there was talk of a walkout. Riot came out and said, right, okay, we hear you, we hear your concerns. As of the current litigation being solved, we're going to change this. We're going to drop the mandatory arbitration for new employees. And they were very careful to say only the new recruits. And then we'll look at you know, opting, <laughs> getting people to opt out for those who are already at the studio. Um, and, and, and But you're going to have to bear with us until we finish the, uh, the, the current lawsuits, which obviously you know, like legal battles take years to settle. And riot number employee, riot employees, all you know, between 150 and 200, depending on who you read, a lot of riot employees basically said, "Nope, not good enough." Downed tools and walked out. That is probably over oversimplifying what has actually happened here. But and it's it's almost unheard of. I, I can't, I certainly can't remember hearing of a walkout in the games industry. And and the the solidarity the industry has shown, like Rebecca, you wrote up the piece. Um, the solidarity showed by people like just purely by social media, like people kind of standing by them. And it's awful that it's got to this stage where people have to walk out of a company to get any kind of change on something like this. It is, I think, I, it it is awful. I also think that we've known it's been this awful for a while, and I think this walkout is a good thing because. We now have, we now have large enough groups of people and enough enough voices and enough, enough traction that a group of what I, I saw different reports like 150, maybe up to 200 people at a major studio felt maybe not safe. I think that's the wrong word, but they felt supported enough by one another and by the wider industry that they could do something like this to get their complaints noticed. Because that's that's the issue Brendan was talking about with NetherRealm, right? You know, you have... It's not quite the exact same thing. But when you feel that everyone else around you is... You, you have these bad conditions. And you feel that if you speak up about them, everyone else around you is going to shout you down and say, what are you talking about? Don't be stupid. Everything's fine. 
But the people at Riot feel that they have enough support from other people that they can say, no, this is not fine, and we need to tell someone about it. Like, that's that's incredible. And I, you know, Riot was, I don't want to say supportive, but they were, yes, let them have time to go do this. We're not going, they, they said out loud, we're not going to retaliate. Whether that actually means that there's not going to be any kind of retribution because, you know, I, like we said, individuals do those kinds of things on their own. And I mean, I mean we don't know. It, it was a statement. But there, there's not going to be any kind of official retaliation from Riot is what they said out loud. And that's, it's, 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 it's awful that the industry is at the point where we need these kinds of things. It's good that people feel supported enough that they can shed light on these things. So I, I hope it means... In contrast to what happened with NetherRealm, I hope this means that we're maybe moving in a more positive direction, but also Riot's response was not enough. One thing yeah. that I will say um, is, is that this actually isn't entirely unprecedented. In, in 2014, um, there were staffers at Crytek UK that walked out because they weren't being paid. Oh, yes. Um, yeah. yeah. I think this is the largest scale one. Yeah, yeah, I would, I would not contest that. Um, the thing that just gets me about that whole uh, situation is Riot wanting to not sort of acknowledge its previous wrong. It's just like, okay, starting now, we're totally cool. Why, why do you guys got to hold on to the past, right? But that, that's, that's this, the thing. It's not even starting now. It's starting in a year or so, as in when we're done with the current lawsuits we're, we're currently we're, we're being faced with that are partly caused by this sort of this sort of clause, this sort of wrong that we're already yeah. doing. It's kind of like, starting in a bit. We'll do this. If you're unwilling to reckon with the fallout from your previous mistakes to be held accountable for the terrible work culture that you fostered and 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 let fester uh i don't i don't really see why people should give you a whole lot of you know like trust that you're going to be doing the right thing going forward like this this sort of seems to be one of the the kind of basic aspects of an apology of of acknowledging that you were wrong is sort of making some sort of effort to address that wrong that you did before you can just go forward with a clean slate i think the the other issue is and i can't remember if we've said this about riot before but also like any, any kind of company facing this sort of of backlash this sort of this sort of scrutiny over how they how they operate and the environment they've got and as we've said there are an increasing number of those companies coming to light the problem is i think people expect instant results now i'm not saying that that that's an excuse for riot i'm not saying that 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 it may well be that you know legal processes are complicated it may well be that it does it's not something they can just drop a, a, you know a, you know on a whim and and just instantly kind of yep okay fine no more mandatory arbitration it may well be that that does complicate the matters they are already engaged with but as you say like a, a bit of acknowledgement would would help but i think like people the right the big right expose came out last summer i want to say june july sort of time 
on how bad the sexist environment is there and how badly certain uh, members of the team are treated. And we're coming up on nine months now and people are expecting it to... It, it feels like people expect it to almost be fixed. It's never going to be fixed. They are they are making some progress. They're meant to be, they've got this dedicated diversity and inclusivity website, the section of their website, where they're trying to keep people updated. But I say that, they, they announced they had a, a new head of diversity and inclusivity at what? I think like January, February. And then to the... the the change to the arbitration or the proposed change to the arbitration clause was the first update we've had in two or three months. And they came out with, at the end of this post, they had like, oh, we, you know, in the meantime, we've been talking about our kind of a next 90 day plan. So in 30 days, we're going to introduce more training. In 60 days, we're going to get the leadership in through some workshops. In 90 days, we're going to do this. And all of it, it's, it's it all rang quite empty. It, it all rang quite hollow. It all seems like these are things that we, we plan to do. But there was no real detail as to how those things actually tackled the problem or whether or not they expect them, when they expect them to be effective. I think that's part of the issue. Like the the people already at the studio are obviously losing patience in terms of when are you going to fix this because working here is hell. Um, So for the people on the outside to still see that it it must seem even more kind of, uh, yeah. Yeah, well, they've sent us multiple PR emails over the last, you know, what what did we what did you just say like 6 months, 9 months, however long it's been? It's probably um, about 9 9 months I think. 9 months yeah. since the the first expose, yeah. Yeah, they've sent us like two or three different PR emails and they're like, "Hey, ever since this happened, we've been making some changes. Take a look at our changes." And we go look at what those changes are and basically they updated their website. Like they they wrote some words on their website about how important diversity is to them. But and that's... this, well, this this thing, this arbitration change that they've made is, from what I've seen, the first concrete thing that they've done, and it's extremely not enough. Well, they've they've kind of like you can say the right things, and it, I do think it's it's helpful to have you know work place training modules and, and workshops and, and change your website to and say new, you value. And new diversity like, hire, too. Yeah, like getting all that stuff on, <laughs> calling it a diversity hire is sort of... That's what they call it. It, it sounds like the the bad thing, but it's, <laughs> it's a, the chief diversity officer. Yeah, it's a, yes. it's a proper thing. Okay, um, but we judge them on on their actions at this point, right? And... Months after they had this this thing blow up in, with the Kotaku expose, they had two of their employees who were defending a PAX panel on, you know, diversity at Riot aimed specifically at, you know, not cis white males. Uh, and the two employees that were defending that against an angry internet mob were apparently not polite and deferential enough to the angry internet mob, so they were fired. And months after that, they finally suspended the um, the executive who had been, you know, had a history of knocking people's genitals playfully and farting on employees. <sighs> and they suspended him without pay for two months. Two because because they wanted to make a very public example to say that this is not acceptable and it's it's and then this the whole like oh we're dropping the forced arbitration thing but but not for anyone that currently works here (laughs) 
and certainly and not, not for the and certainly not for the people who are suing us because for gender discrimination yeah because we don't want to have any kind of repercussions for the horrible uh environment that we were running for for years and like those actions collectively say a lot more to me about what riot's doing than their promise of you know more workshops down the road or, or things like that yeah just as bad as i so i have brought up the website now like the original post about the dropped arbitration they um they even tried to spin the the fact that the the mandatory arbitration clause like not all arbitration agreements are the same here are some details about ours riot covers all the costs of the arbitrator both parties have to agree on the arbitrator the plaintiff can hire a lawyer of their own choosing i'm not even going to bother reading the rest because it doesn't change the fact that you're not letting people air a grievance with you or demand you know demand compensation from you that they arguably deserve in the way that they have chosen yeah like you can't team up with other employees to say look we all have the same stories this is a class action suit it yeah. has to be one on one your your case in a vacuum with the company and when you can't establish like look at all these other people's cases as well like that's that clearly works in the favor of a company that wants to abuse people and get away with it also kind of ties back tying back into our previous conversation about netherrealm like there was something that you pointed out in your um editorial that i think probably applies here as well in the all these companies who are are under fire for their kind of their toxic work environments and and the allegations of stuff that happens there they're still obviously hiring and the way that they sell this workplace like you 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 were saying like you know like epic say oh we have an unrelenting passion and like and a riot i have to say i haven't looked at riot's careers page but i, I imagine they're probably hiring oh you know come to this wonderful team environment which you know when all outlets of the press are saying very much the opposite and all not not sorry not outlets of the press your own staff <laughs> you know it's it, it must make hiring hiring difficult not that they're, not that I have much sympathy for companies if companies are treating their current staff like this i'm not overly sympathetic they're not allowed to bring in new staff but it just it must make the whole thing difficult on an almost related note like actually something that i didn't god i want to i want to mention two things real quick about that yeah go nuts um the rockstar career page um because rockstar was yet another company that had these features written about how awful the work environment there was uh the rockstar career page specifically talks about um the like the loyalty and the dedication that its employees have to the project and to each other passion which <laughs> which really kind of like is that that dog whistle to kind of say like yeah that that peer pressure environment where everyone mocks anyone that leaves early like that is absolutely what we are all about um and that is that is distressing and then the other thing was the um the nether realm studios thing there were a couple people that i talked to that were talking about how they were just trying to break into the industry and they were saying like, oh, well, yeah, so I really wanted to, you know, I really wanted to show them and prove myself uh, that, that I could do this. And I, because of that, I was willing to put up with a lot more abuse than, than I otherwise would have been. And uh, another person told me, like, it's an incredibly difficult decision to make with how hard it is to get your foot in the door in the industry. Is it more important to get a shipped AAA title early on or to not be exploited for it? 
Yeah. And that's that's the kind of you know mentality and pressure on on people that lets uh, abusive studios continue to churn out you know blockbuster hits every two years like clockwork because they they have found enough uh fodder to to just you know shovel into the the furnace here i'm mixing my metaphors uh and just like the thing i kept thinking about when i was going through this nether realm feature is that that studio sounds like this big dumb machine that burns humanity for fuel and craps out money and the people driving it are just sitting at the stoplight revving the engine for no good reason yeah on the note of like i said while we're talking about these these kind of studios with toxic environments or allegedly toxic environments like another story i wanted to mention from this week was um game workers unite joining forces with the French Union Solidaires Informatique. Um, they basically called out for people at Quantic Dream. So Quantic Dream, this t- uh, last early last year, there were sto- there were sto- stories of um, sexual predators, sexual harassment, and just generally pretty much similar story to, to Riot Games, really. Game Workers Un- Unite and this French Union have called out and said, right, anyone suffering from this needs to talk to us. And again, going back to kind of inadequate responses, Quantum, Quantic Dream's response was that they are not aware of any of these incidents and urge any victims to contact the relevant authorities. I mean, yes, like if if there are, yeah, fine. If there are victims of these things and you'd rather them contact the relevant authorities rather than Game Workers Unite and and this French Union, yes, those someone should be contacted. Absolutely, someone should be contacted. So it's just so... Yeah, just... You're never going to get a company come out and say, you're right, Working here is shit. We treat our people like shit. We burn people out and we're all sitting on big piles of money for it. But you know what? We'll try and get better. No one's ever going to respond like that. But I just want to see more more progress from them. When when the riot thing happened last year, their initial response to it was actually, if I remember correctly, it struck me as like, okay, they're acknowledging there's something wrong and they're trying to do better. Like that could be, that could be good. And and this Quantic Dream statement today, it is an improvement. It is absolutely an improvement for the studio. The yeah. first time that when this happened in January, uh, I think January two thousand eighteen is the the when the news reports yep. first came yep. up. Uh, the statement that Quantic Dream released then was plagiarized from Naughty Dog's statement about. Oh yes. A oh, I forgot about that. Oh my god. Yeah. Just a couple of months earlier. Yeah, so, I remember that. Like when this one came out, the first thing that I did was like, okay, well, let's just type their, you know, their statement into Google search and see if it's someone else's statement. And to their credit, I was not able to instantly find <laughs> an obvious source that they had ripped oh off in the games industry from just like two months prior so okay. that's improvement way to go it's, quantic dream it's an, impro- I, I should... it's an improvement but writing your own statement is not the issue here <laughs> like bare minimum no it is it um, is a bad statement maybe because they wrote minimum. it themselves but i i, I mean i should point out an, an actual positive is that it's a, it goes back a little bit to what i said earlier about you know the riot employees feeling like they had enough support to actually talk about these things. We've seen ever again, ever since the Fortnite piece, but again, with the escalating conversations about working conditions in general, um, we're starting to see more companies 
just talk about it in general. Uh, there were two stories that came out in the last, like, I think two weeks or so, and we may have mentioned them on this podcast already, uh, but there was uh, Apex Legends, uh, Re- Vince Zampella from Respawn uh, talked about how when Apex Legends blew up, they specifically decided they were going to not do what apparently got Fortnite in trouble, which is they're not frantically trying to update at this just cr- insane pace that's um, you know hurting their developers. They're taking it slow, and they don't like he said we don't want to overwork the team. Um, he they they want to try to keep up their team's quality of life. Now whether that actually translates into them actually doing that, I mean, if we have like a respawn expose here in like a year or so that says actually we crunched like hell on Apex Legends, that may not end up meaning beans. But the fact that uh, Zampella felt compelled to say something out loud about it is a whole thing. Uh, there was another one too. There was uh, grinding gears. Chris Wilson, uh, it's pa- the Path of Exile folks. Um, he said in a thing to fans on Reddit. Uh, just this last week, that sometimes they feel like they're asked to crunch to keep up with the things that fans demand of them, but they're not going to do that. They're going to try to keep their developers healthy. Again, that we, we don't know if that's actually the case. We haven't, you know, ta- gone to the studio and talked to the developers and ha- heard them out on that. But he felt compelled to say that and be what seems to be transparent about that. And that's that's that didn't happen before yeah Yeah. players players in the press are definitely part of that like systemic pressure to crunch um like the polygon had that wonderful feature on Fortnite crunch and epic games and like two weeks earlier they had a big piece about like how apex legends is squandering its its momentum by not updating the way Fortnite does so like there there are you know there are forces all over that are just sort of like making the problem worse. But it is it is good to to see that people are are you know actually stepping up and saying yeah we're everyone has always said employees are our greatest asset but we're actually going to you know choose to protect them and keep them you know healthy rather than burn them out in the hopes of making the most of our flash in the pan. On to a slightly different subject, loot boxes, because this debate is still raging. Um, This week, Senator Josh Hawley in the US said that he's going to introduce legislation that will ban publishers from using exploitative game mechanics in titles aimed at children and to prohibit children from accessing them in games aimed at adults. Um, According to the Senator, the Protecting Children from Abusive Games Act would prohibit... uh, uh, Sorry would prohibit offering randomised rewards to players through microtransactions, manipulating a game's progression systems uh, to encourage players to spend money, or giving players uh, who purchase microtransactions a competitive advantage over others. The Federal Trade Commission would be the ones responsible for enforcing this, treating the use of such mechanics as an unfair trade practice, and individual US states would be able to sue companies over violations to protect their residents. Now, I don't think the overall sentiment of, yes, we need to step in and do something... It's bad. I think it's bad that it is the government who thinks it is them that needs to do it because, as we've said many times on both the site and on this podcast, once you've got government uh, regulation and government legislation, you then lose the ability to self-regulate and that is what we should be doing in this beginning. I do question how this bill could be enforced in terms of... So he's talking about, like, okay... Games aimed at children, and the one of the examples he offered was Candy Crush Saga, which arguably, yeah, that's a game aimed at all ages. Yes, absolutely, there should be kind of clamping down on 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 how 
how much that encourages kids to spend, but that should be King doing it and not the government. The 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 loot box issue, like the the wider loot box issue. Maybe I'm I'm looking a little too kind of tunnel focused, tunnel visioned at, at, at what we've been writing, but primarily seems to be around the kind of the AAA product, or certainly seem to be loudest around the AAA products. And all of those, the, the ones that were actually highlighted in that, that um, around the Star Wars Battlefront 2 launch, so it was Battlefront 2, Destiny, Shadow of War, these were the ones that got the most attention when the loot box debate first kicked off. All of those are aimed at adults. So I don't know if that gives the publishers a get-out clause. I don't, I don't know. I, it's, well, it's, yeah. Holly's proposal... Holly's proposed legislation also says that in games aimed at adults, uh, they need to block off these mechanics from kids. And Star Wars Battlefront 2 is debatably aimed at adults there. How do you enforce that? Uh, How you enforce that is, well, the Federal Trade Commission comes down and slaps wrists, I guess. Um, How how you draw, you know, black and white lines around that is is, uh, pretty tricky, um, and that's one of the problems with this, and that's why uh, the industry really should have gotten ahead of this a long time ago. Um, but like the 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 poster child in the in the bill that Holly is using is Candy Crush Saga, and uh, it says like as an example, and it uses the you know hundred and forty dollar combo pack that lets you um, that makes the game easier with consumables. That uh, gives you a bunch of virtual currency and lets you play as much as you want for 24 hours, and like that's not that's not the the Star Wars Battlefront loot box issue necessarily. No. So already, like we're talking about something much broader than what uh, what people have mostly been debating lately, and I think that's partly you know the industry's fault for being so aggressive with loot boxes that now here's legislation would this legislation have existed if the loot box discussion hadn't had such traction in in the last few years and i don't know if it would also um the esa's response to this specifically like it's (laughs) it's, oh there will be many also's and i'll write an editorial on it in the coming weeks i'm sure but um the ESA's response to this, the, the first line of it basically was like, hey, here's a whole bunch of places that have already determined loot boxes aren't gambling. But if you read Holly's proposal, there it says gambling once, and that's not really the focus of, of the proposal. The, 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 Holly's focus is on these things being manipulative, these things exploiting children, uh, these things being just aggressively unfair to consumers. And, like, those aren't legal terms that you really need to to define in order to legislate this stuff. That is, that is just, like, here are the reasonable criticisms of some of these practices and that the, the industry would be the ones to really directly invoke the gambling thing when that's not quite what holly is saying is um, it's also it's on a minor note like i i read this just before we uh started recording uh, a fellow journalist of, of mine um said that it, it, the the countries that of the countries that the esa singles out only one of them has actually determinedly said yes loot boxes are not gambling and all the others are currently investigating it suggesting it might not be gambling 
I also want to throw out there that, I mean, this so far this is a legislative proposal from one guy who apparently, I, and I haven't dug into this too much, but apparently has a history of going after big tech and doing an okay job at it. Again, I, I haven't dug into that, so that may not be entirely correct, but I, he has gone after tech before. So he he kind of at least sort of knows what he's doing. However, if you've listened to the hearings, um, the the discussion with Mark Zuckerberg, or you know the when they were questioning the Google CEO, it's really clear that just as a whole, the U.S. government and the officials in it really don't know very much, like like enough about basic technology. I, I mean, these were these were things like Google and social media platforms, but I would argue that video games is like another step further removed for that from that. Because these people who are, you know, in these hearings have probably, at least at some point, looked at Facebook. But from what I understand, probably a lot of our senators and the people who would be, like, deciding what these laws would be, uh, probably they haven't really picked up a video game. Um, I I don't think many of them have, um, just based on what they seem to know about technology in general. And so I would just be really nervous about anything that the U.S. government would try to do to regulate video games, because I, I, I'm not confident that they have a fundamental understanding of how all, it, all of it works. Yeah, it doesn't help that the uh, most influential legislators are the most senior ones that have had their posts for dozens of years. Yeah, and I, I, I didn't want to go quite there because, you know, obviously there are plenty of people of, you know, certain ages that do enjoy video games anyway. But I, again, I don't necessarily think that the folks in office in the U.S. government are among that demographic. No. Um, I, I just, I I went back yesterday and I looked at some of the clips from uh, the Facebook hearings and all that and them not understanding the fundamental difference between Facebook and Twitter or not understanding that Google was not the same as the internet. I mean, those, those are not video games necessarily, but again, I think I, I just, I, I would see more of that being a problem. I, I think there's a really easy tendency for people who don't even touch video games to look at that and say, wow, that's absolutely horrible. We need to just like ban all of this and, you know, put all this regulation on it. And I, I agree, like the, the industry should regulate itself. We need, we need something in place because um, it is, it is predatory um, towards, towards little kids. Like the, the way, the way things are structured now is not okay, but the industry that understands these things needs to get its act together and take care of it. And my hope is that by, um, this fellow coming up with this proposal, maybe it will kick a little fire under the folks in the industry and say, okay, maybe we need to clean up our own house before someone comes in and does it for us. Yeah. I, another note on this, I, I, and this is a horrible, cynical, defeatist note, almost against my own industry, but if there is regulation, if a new line is drawn publishers will just find a way around or up to that line and i don't i'm not going to like name anyone any particular publishers there, there will there will be companies out there who do do you know who do do that taking um the candy crush example that you gave the 140 dollar um lush luscious bundle ludicious bundle whatever it was called the you know 24 hours of extra lives and all this stuff um i read in the article that, that it, it it's advertised with like a big red sticker that says best value now Years ago, the Office of Fair Trading did this whole thing on mobile games where they decreed that, like, if if there are microtransactions for, um, you know, so if there are microtransactions in games for kids, 
you you cannot advertise them targeting kids you cannot use push notifications to guilt there were there were back in the day there were games like that were guilting children into oh you know poor little puppy will die unless you come and play game there were I can't, that's not a specific example but there were there were games that were emotionally tapping into children and saying right you know, your characters need you to come back and spend money on this game all of that got addressed all of that new guidelines were drawn up and publishers had to stick to them and yet we clearly have this this ludicious bundle or luscious bundle whatever the hell it's called the 140 dollar best value thing which is still well, like that harry potter game very recently where you had the kid the school kid like tied up in vines from that plant in the closet or whatever and you couldn't finish that interaction i unless you waited like a day and left them tangled up in those vines like yeah. being attacked by an evil plant or paid real money i mean so we have it do you know what? More on that in a week or so, because I actually I spoke to the um, the CEO of, of Jam City, uh, the developer behind Hogwarts Mystery um, at GDC, and I am planning on writing that up because that that was Ooh. an interesting conversation. Um, but yeah, you're right. Like the just the problem is when you're stepping beyond the loot box issue. The loot box issue was loot boxes primarily in full price titles where you have already paid an entry price for the game, and then you are being monetized further. But this this legislation is targeting all forms of monetization, large. And if he's using Candy Crush as a prime example, in the free to play business model, the free to play model dominates the mobile industry, which is the biggest part of the games industry. So this is the largest method in which publishers and developers are able to monetize and are able to are able to you know basically keep the lights running and, and earn money from the game to keep themselves afloat. Now, I'm not saying that all of them do that in a kind of a noble way of, oh, we only do the minimum that we need to to keep the game, of, you know, the company afloat. Obviously, there are companies like who are out there who are actively trying to get more and more and more profit from these games. But once we start messing with that model, people are just going to find ways around it and just and just adapt the model. And the, the model as it stands now, as we've established, is already quite aggressive. Right. And then the, the issue then becomes that the legislation, because they know that people will just try and come up to the line and play in the gray areas and all that. The danger becomes that the legislation overreaches yeah. and yeah. and then just kind of shuts all this stuff down. And then that, you know, is a hugely negative impact. Like even the proposal right now where it talks about like outlawing um, for, for kids anyways, uh, the, the mechanics where you can pay to speed up progress, like how much of the console and mobile industry uses that as just a normal mechanic and how many of them are really, you know, so aggressive about it that it's a problem. Like, if Mortal Kombat has a, uh, I think in one of their previous ones, they had it unlock all the stuff in the crypt, their, their, like, unlockables thing, for 10 bucks, 15 bucks or something. And, like, that would be illegal to let kids get that, that you know, into that business uh, there, or to let kids yeah. buy that. I think we have we have some of the biggest names in games, or certainly some of the longest running names in games, who are now almost entirely not entirely, but are generally quite dependent on free to play games and those forms of monetization. Uh, as a random example, like Konami, I wrote the Konami fan financials this morning. Konami's biggest generator of money is their mobile games. The vast majority of their mobile games are free to play. Pez doesn't cut it anymore. Metal Gear Solid 
well, they haven't released one in ages, and I don't like. You know, they, they, they're running out of franchises that they can reduce, release and kind of um, generate a profit through traditional means, i.e., console and PC. So it's the mobile, the free-to-play stuff that that's that's keeping them going. If the legislation overreach, like you say, if it cut off, uh, you know, the the ways that they can they can target people with monetization. If the monetization drops, there goes Konami, as an example. Yeah, uh, or you know, there goes a significant chunk of the people working at Konami. Yeah, exactly. It's it's um, it has the potential to be really really bad. Right now, I don't think it's necessarily going to get that bad, but uh, it's not it's it's not something that you really want to play chicken with. I don't think. EA is another example, maybe less so with free-to-play, but definitely looking at them in terms of just ongoing monetization for their games. Like, yeah. the majority, it seems that the majority of the money that EA has made in the last couple of years and certainly plans to make in the coming year rides on either the free-to-play stuff that they seem to be teasing for Apex Legends or um just just ongoing support and pay, paying into um other games that will have those kinds of options so yeah, yeah ea is another big one that seems to rely on um, that. fifa fifa i doubt would as, oh, as, as, as best-selling as fifa is around the world and it is one of the best-selling games around the world every year without fail without the the ultimate team mechanic like just just sales alone i doubt would recoup development costs it is that ultimate team, that ongoing monetization that is key, that is funding the, that series, and that is funding the, the the big enough updates and the significant enough updates that make people buy it every year or every other year. Yeah, for sure. And also, I mean, I I don't really play the sports games, but it, my understanding is isn't isn't FIFA or at least one of their EA Sports titles one of the ones that has some of just the worst uh, microtransaction and monetization things in terms of what people complain about. Like, don't people get really mad about Ultimate Team? Yeah, I think people. I, I have a vague memory of reading that people get, have been when the loot box stuff started coming out. People, Ultimate Team players were or fans were basically like, "This is stuff we've been complaining about for years. Well done for catching up." Yeah, that's right. Um, so yeah, um, unfortunately, I think we have then run out of time. We're going to be back next week with more discussion of the latest industry headlines. Hopefully, some more positive headlines because I think we're getting on for like two or three negative shows on a trot now. Um, so some some good news would be would be most welcome. In the meantime, while we wait for that good news, you can check out our previous episodes. They're all on all good podcasting platforms, and you can find them on the site. And you can find your daily dose of news analysis and insight into the world behind video games at gamesindustry.biz I knew what fuck that that's a horrible 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 analogy I'm going to cut that out you do, not, <laughs> you do not reference Star Wars on a on a fucking B2B podcast um, how dare you make us think of the prequels? I'm sorry. I'm so sorry. <laughs> <laughs>